We have a, a gift this morning of the Psalms once again. And um, Psalm 127 and 128, there's Psalms about like everyday stuff. There's Psalms about labor and toil. There, there's Psalms about keeping watch and about doing. And these Psalms describe life and all of the mundane aspects of it, right? All of the day-to-day stuff that we take for granted and we don't really think about in terms of labor and in, in terms of work. They're all about the nitty-gritty. The, the eating, the sleeping, right? The rising, the going to bed. And the psalmist's life is a, it's a simpler and it's a less complex life, we think. Right? That's, that's our perspective. But at its foundation, it's, it's similar to ours, right? And so from that similarity, um, we see that the psalmist works and he keeps watch. We work, we keep watch, we're attentive to things, attentive to things. He eats and sleeps, we eat and sleep. <laughs> they have family and we have family. So the psalmist, there's some things there that, that are just the day-to-day grind that we can see and we can relate to. Some of us can relate to parts of the psalm, um, and then some of the rest of us can relate to like kind of all of it, whether maybe we have family and we have children and different things, but whether you find situations or circumstances that you share in common with the psalmist, uh, it doesn't change the truth and the convictions that we find in these psalms. That's the beauty of scripture, and we've seen it particularly uh, in the psalms and in these psalms of ascent. They've spoken truths that we need in our hearts, in our thinking, in the way that we grasp and view the world. I mean, we talked Wednesday, right, and and the gospel spoke into the reality of wearing masks. Like, we didn't come up with the the right answer, but we, we saw that, hey, even the way that we go about our everyday life has implications that we find in Scripture. Is it, that's a gift. Hey, that's a gift that we have, that we open the Bible and it tells us, hey, how should we live? The Psalms of Ascent have addressed the ways that we think, the ways that we feel. It's addressed our wayward hearts, our tumultuous emotions, right? We've seen that in these last seven Psalms. And the beauty of it is these Psalms were written thousands of years ago and somehow they're still relevant today. That can only be because of who wrote them. Our God gave us this scripture and these psalms. What a great gift from a great God. And so as we unwrap this together, this gift together this morning, let's ask God to open our hearts and minds uh, to what he wants us to learn and experience, right? So it's his head and a heart and all of us, the whole of our lives. We want to be transformed and changed by who God is and his scripture So we pray that he would do that through his word and by the power of his spirit this morning. As we engage in the word of God together, uh, will you agree with me in prayer that God will do that for us this morning? Let's pray. God, as Chris has already said, we are dependent upon you for your word to change us. God, I'm dependent upon you that your word would change and shape and mold me So, Lord, will you do that? We come as a people dependent, begging, asking 
and yet expecting because we've seen your faithfulness. We saw you do it last Sunday. And so we have a confidence that you're going to do it again. Lord, we pray that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, um, and, and really challenge some of our thinking this morning. And you do it in such a gracious and kind way, Lord. Thank you. We trust you for these things. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So you may say, well, we're doing two psalms today. Are we trying to catch up? No, the, the psalms have some parallels. And so we wanted to go ahead and, and walk through those together. But really, two things I'm hoping that we get out of today. I want us to see that there's a, fruit, there's a faithful labor that we're called to. God calls us to a faithful labor. Okay? And then God promises a fruitful blessing. Now, the thing that we will immediately go to is we will attach those two things and say, if I do the one, the other one will happen. And, and that's where we make the mistake most of the time. See, God has called us to a faithful labor. And, and we don't have to see the fruit of that labor for us to continue walking in it. And we're going we're gonna to unpack this some. And God has promised a blessing, a fruitful blessing, that's not dependent on our labor. So those two things are both independently true, and they're true together. So we're going we're gonna to unpack that a little bit this morning. So we're going to look at verses 1 and 2 of both Psalms. So hopefully it's on the same page in your Bible. It is in mine, and I, I feel that's a gift to me this morning. Otherwise, I'd be flipping back and forth. But they're both on the same page. And so Psalm 127, verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Verse 2, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Now, if you know, if you have some experience with the Bible, you would know why this psalm is attributed to Solomon. Because in Ecclesiastes, Solomon, who wrote that, continues to press into the vanity of life, right? That everything is vanity outside of who God is. And so, this psalm is saying the same thing. And and so they're not sure whether scholars kind of disagree maybe on whether it was written by Solomon or it was just attributed to Solomon, but, but we have this idea of unless the Lord is doing it, it's in vain. We'll jump down to 128, 1 and 2, right? So, so I want to put these two things side by side. One is the vanity of us toiling and laboring in and of our own accord. And the other one is us laboring in what God has called us to. So verse 1 of Psalm 128 says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Again, we're automatically going to jump to it and say, well, okay, so if I just do those things, then I will reap the reward, and I won't be like that person who labors in vain. But I think all of us have labored in vain at some point in our lives. We know the futility of hard work, and striving, and that something sometimes doesn't get produced. Has anybody ever worked hard at a project and it, it failed just completely? Anybody? All right, good. Perfect. Thank you. Me too, right? We all have. We've all seen the futility of our work, our labor, that, that right labor doesn't necessarily always produce fruitfulness. But I think we need to even define labor some. Right, so that verse 1 of 127 says that uh, the Lord builds the house, 
Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, uh, those who build it labor in vain. So that idea of labor. Often, I will jump directly to vocation. Right? We think about work. Okay, what do you do for work? That's the question we ask. What do you do? Right? Um, particularly men, we're, we're quick to say that. We're quick to find our identity there. But the reality is that labor is so much more than what your vocation is. And if we just define it that way, we're going to exclude all these other things of what labor looks like. Some would define labor and even say that maybe, maybe your work isn't physical, so it's not actually labor. Right? We think about building a house. That's labor. Somebody's lifting some heavy beams or putting some stuff up. And so we think physical labor. Um, and then mental labor would not necessarily be defined as labor. So these are some ways that we think about it. But the reality is that, um, like, I think that labor often requires intentionality, but sometimes that's not even true. Like, sometimes we're working and we're not even thinking about it. Like, we're just doing it. So if we used any of these to describe and to define labor, we would exclude the others. So we need to think about labor in all of life. Merriam-Webster defines labor in this way, expenditure of physical or mental effort, especially when difficult or compulsory. The reality is that labor looks like life. We see it. We see it in the beginning of Psalm 127. He says, building a house, physical work. He says, watching, that's mental activity, attentiveness. He says, eating, that's a, that's, we do that to sustain the labor, to have the energy he says, sleep, rest enables us to just get up and do it again. So that's all of life, right? It's all defined in that labor that is saying, if you're doing it without God, or unless God is doing it in you, it's all in vain. If the Lord is not orchestrating your life, your life is operating in vain. And we compare that to the first two verses of 128. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. This is the the gift that we're given this morning. That everyday life, both active and passive, we see it in the walking, right? So walking is an active thing. We see it in fear, and that's a mental or disposition of the heart, right? A fear, an honoring, a glorifying of who God is. Both those things are what our life looks like. And so we live in accordance with who God is and what He has done. That's what Psalm 128 is saying. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who knows His holiness, who knows His righteousness, who rests in that, finds their safety there, and who walks in His ways. And remember, for the psalmist, he's he's given the law. That's what he's been given of how to live in accordance with who God is and what He's done. And so he's saying, if we walk in those ways, if we walk according to the law, we will honor God. Our lives will not, the labor that we're doing will not be in vain. It changes the way we live, the way we work, the way we play, the way we think, the way we feel. It changes the way we dream we talked about last week, right? All of life becomes shaped by who God is and what He's done. So there's this call to a faithful labor. And we're going to get into that a little bit more towards the end because there's an invitation that that Christ has made 
for us to labor with Him. I just want you to see real fast in I have two major points, right? God is, is calling us to faithful labor, and He blesses us with, with his, his promise is a fruitful blessing, right? But there's two, two little asides that I just pulled out of the passage this morning. How great a promise is that at the end of verse 2 of chapter 127? He says, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Right? Riley was talking this morning. Man, I feel like God's talking about rest. And if we could just rest in him. And here's the promise that, that we're given. If we have sleep, if we have rest, it's been given by God. Maybe um, you know Solomon in, uh, in Samuel. It's talking about how Solomon is the beloved of God. And it, he actually has a name. It's Jedidiah. And that same, passage is, or that same word is being used in this passage. And it's saying to his beloved, to the one that he loves, he gives sleep. Maybe that's just for me, having a less than one-year-old, right? <laughs> that I just cling to that. But I think for all of us, like if, we, if we're longing for rest, God has promised that we'll have it. Not necessarily like Chris was talking about, when we think we should get it. Or when we're at the end of our rope, because we don't know when the end of our rope is. We don't know when the end of our strength is. But God brings us to that place, and then he promises that rest and that sleep. So I just saw that. I hope maybe that's an encouragement to one of you guys today. I know it was to me, but... To, to God's beloved. So see yourself as the beloved, the one that God loves, that he longs for, and that he promises rest and peace. Well, the rest of both chapters really presses into what does the blessing of God look like? So there's this fruitful blessing that's happening. And in Psalm 127, it really presses into the, the children, right? So the blessings of God are children from the Lord, right? Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit, of the, room, the fruit of the womb a reward. Arrows in the hand of warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with him. Words like heritage, reward, the filling, right, that we have of, of having children. And maybe you're saying, well, I don't have children yet. That doesn't mean that this promise is not for you, because here's... Here's the thing that we're going we're gonna to bump up against every time we come to this. The, and we've seen it in the psalmist. He has a corporate identity. He understands what it means to be the people of God. So if one of them were to receive a child, they all receive the child. If God blessed one of them with, with, a, with a son or a daughter, the, the whole people were growing that's another thing with, with the Jewish heritage, right? They, they were a people that were the chosen people of God. So if another child was born, that means that the people of God were growing. We have a real hard time understanding that because we don't live in that culture. But there's something about that that he clings to it and he says, hey, that's, that's for us. If there's children that are being birthed, we are receiving this heritage and the growth of God's fame and His glory. Another child of God is being born. And then the idea of the, the, 
the filling of the quiver. We don't know the size of that. <laughs> Had some discussions recently, right? What does that mean? Is that, you know, what are the implications of that? I think that there's another, uh, another side here that really points to um, God's gift of children. And so in our day and age, as we talk about uh, politics, as we talk about all of the things that are going on, we talk about abortion, right? Often this, this passage is used to say, no, there's a sanctity of life. God is the one who gives children or doesn't. But he's sovereign and he's in control and he can do that. And so we wrestle with that. And then we try to play God in the midst of that. And then we play God by judging others who are playing God. And, and it just, like, it gets compounded. <laughs> and we say, well, that's, that's murder. And it's true, it is. But if we hate those people, and, and I know that this is kind of all over the place, but I'm just, I've been wrestling with this. Because Jesus talks about if you have anger in your heart, it's the same as murder. And so if we're condemning each other, and we're, and we're angry with each other, and we're doing those things, we're, we're, we need a Savior. Does that make sense? Sorry, I know I'm a little all over the place this morning with that, but, but just wrestling with that this morning, like, God, will you teach us? Can we sit in a place of humility where we would look at this and say, God, you are in control. You are the giver of life. You are the giver of all good things. You are the giver of blessings. And so we're going to wait, and we're going to wait upon you, and we're going to abide in you, and we're going to rest in you. And we're going to labor. We're going to work. We're going to declare these things to be true. No, like God has given the gift of children. But this fruitful blessing that we're talking about, and we see it in 128 also. He says in verse 3, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Man, I'm thankful for fruitful vines. I'm thankful for a wife who sows in my children, when, I, when all I see is frustration, right? She's sowing. She's sowing kindness. And she, her vine is spreading out into our family. And it's not her. It's the gift of God that's moving and, and showing grace in our family and creating a home where there's peace and love and joy because of who Christ is and what He's done. And the children will be like olive shoots at your table growing. And again, this idea of it's not just my personal family. It's the body of Christ. Think about how excited we get when someone has a baby. We do all kinds of beautiful celebratory things, right? We do a baby shower. We, We come around them with meals. We celebrate what God has done. The Jewish people celebrated because it meant the growth of the kingdom. It meant the growth of the people of God. Do we celebrate that same way when someone comes to faith? Do we uh, just have a party? (laughs) I mean, this is the reality. This is where the psalmist is resting in the blessing of who God is. And the blessing is happening not because... Uh, the, the people were sowing and working right. And I think that that's why this is in Psalm 127, because 
when you're reading Psalm 127, you're like, man, verse 1 and 2 kind of make sense together. Verse 3 through 5 kind of makes sense together. But how do you get from building a house and labor and toil to all of a sudden talking about children and the gift and the blessing? God gives the blessing. We can't produce. We can't make these things happen. And God has given the blessing. We're wrestling with these things. And we think that he doesn't hear our cry sometimes. Even in, even in the labor of, of family. And even in the labor of longing for children. And even in the labor of, of wanting a husband or a wife. Right? Or just of growing up. Right? You guys are, are hoping to grow up. And I'm talking to you, Landon, and Noah, and Asher in the back. But... Right? We're hoping to grow up. We're, we're hoping that these things are going to happen, but we can't really do anything. We trust in the sovereign God that He's going to do it. And so if any growth, any blessing, any maturity happens, we trust that it comes from God. As we continue to, to kind of press into this fruitful blessing, I want you to just... Uh, you could turn there, Luke chapter 12, 22-31. We're going to look at what Jesus says about how this happens. Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 31. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. There's a labor that he's calling us to, the seeking of the kingdom, and yet... That's not producing the clothing of, the, of the, the feeding of the birds or the clothing of the lilies. No, God's doing those things. So there's, again, the reality of call to faithful labor, and yet the promise of fruitful blessing that doesn't rest on your labor. It rests on a holy God who longs to bless His people, who longs to be with His people, and pours Himself into His people. All of this can get kind of, uh, we can get wrapped up in it. We can begin to think, and we started here, that, that I have to work and labor for fruitfulness to happen. And if that's not true, then, then maybe the, the thing that we'll just go to is, well, God's sovereign, He's in control, so I'm, I just have to sit back and let it all happen. No, He's invited us into the labor. When we see in, in Ephesians 2.8, I just want to 
want us to spend a moment thinking about the gospel and what God has done, right? The labor that he's done. We talked about last week that there's only one who really sowed in tears and produced a harvest. And we're going to look at it again this week. It's only Jesus who makes those things happen. Ephesians 2, 8-10 through 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It is the blessing of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. That's, that's the truth. We have been given Christ Nothing we did could ever earn it before or after. Because sometimes we think, okay, well, now we've got the gift, so we need to circle back around. It's kind of like that layaway plan. Not layaway, but you get it, and then you owe, owe it on credit. Right? Layaway, you wouldn't get it until you actually... Nobody knows what layaway is anymore. Yeah. But we buy it on credit. We get it right now, and we'll pay for it later. No, that, that's not the way Christ works either. We have received what we never purchased by our works. And we've received it in full. But it doesn't stop there because then he goes into verse 10 and he says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So that the truth of the gospel stands by itself and then an invitation comes to walk in those works. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's the way we get to do it. We get to walk in faithful labor. We get to see the fruitful blessing. And those two things are not necessarily connected in producing one or the other, but they both are true. John 15, 5, Jesus speaking to his disciples in the upper room, and he says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Again, the same promise. Like without God, our labor is in vain. But if we abide in Christ, if we rest in him, we see much fruit. call in 1 Corinthians, Paul speaking, and he says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Stephen Whitmer, uh, in his article, Unless God Works, We Work in Vain, put it like this. He says, knowing that God works in and through us gives us confidence and boldness to be more, not less, active in the good works he has planned for us. It should drive us to to lifting up our eyes and seeing those around us who need the same gospel, who need to hear the same encouragement, who need to have the same life that we do. As we close our time together and looking at Psalm 127 and 128, there's this end in Psalm 128. Verses 5 and 6, he says, The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon you. Peace be upon Israel. The psalmist in the Psalms of Ascent has used that peace be upon Israel several times. It's the desire that we would rest and, and sit in a place of understanding who we are and who Christ is. May you see your children's children. Right? We think about that and we think, man, I, 
that means I need to have children and they need to have children. But the reality is that if this is that corporate psalm, if that's our corporate identity, then our prayer is, yes, Lord, grow our family. We would love that. But more than that, grow your family. May we see your children's children. May that be our first and foremost celebration. May that be where our heart goes and clings to. And that's going to take some reorienting of the way we think. But God is gracious and kind to do that. He's already doing it. He's changing us into His image. Spurgeon says this. He says, happy is the man who hits the golden mean by so working as to believe in God and so believing in God as to work without fear. That passive trust and that active obedience. Lord, would you work that in us as a people, not so that people would look and say, man, that, those folks that gather in that pavilion, they're, they're good people. No. That would, that would be the worst thing. We need them to see we have a good God. We have an incredible Savior who has saved a wretch like us and called us saints. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would stir in us the gift of belief. God, that we would long to know you and trust you. God, I thank you that even in some of my rambling today, you have um, reminded us of truth. God, you've stirred in us a desire to, to trust and to rest and to sit, but also a desire to walk and to go and to labor. Lord, I pray that, that, that the prayer that Spurgeon prayed would be for us, Lord, that we would find that, that, that medium, that, that mean, the middle where we can actively labor completely trusting in Jesus. God, we thank you for the work that you've done on our behalf. Lord, that we are saved by faith, by grace, through faith, because of what Jesus has done. Pray that that would be an encouragement to us this morning, that we remember our identity as a sinner saved by grace, all for your glory. Lord, and that it would cause us to lift up our eyes. God, I pray for the struggle of um, just understanding what it means to be children, to have children, to have a growing family. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see your family. God, that we would celebrate, that we would long for people to be grafted into the family of God. Lord, as Paul said, I, I don't know if I could pray like he did, but he, he prayed that he would be cut off, that others would know. God, may we have that kind of heart and that kind of desire. I pray that you would stir our hearts for those that we're praying for. God, that they would come to know you and trust you. We thank you for this morning. In your name, amen.